Good evening. Let's call to order the Planning Commission study session of uh, Monday, November 27th, 2023 at 6 o'clock p.m. The city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the recording officer in person or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak. That is star nine on telephone. Location teleconference meeting details are available on the agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the show captions button. Following the study session, the regular planning commission meeting will begin at 7 p.m. and we encourage the public to stay tuned and participate in the regular meeting. Recording officer, may you please have the roll call. Commissioner Howe. Present. Commissioner Howard. Here. Chair Pine. Present. Commissioner Shukla. Present. Commissioner Davis. Present. Commissioner Cerrone. Present. We have six commissioners present and the absence of Vice Chair Glasses is excused. Thank you. Our study session item for this evening is item 23-1084, uh, proposed, proposed project related applications on a 3.56 acre site, a special development permit to demolish three existing used auto sales buildings and construct a seven-story mixed-use building, including approximately 31,361 square feet of commercial retail space on the first and second store, stories and 111 residential units on the third story and above, and five two-story single-family homes, as well as a vesting tentative map to subdivide the properties into six lots, such as the five single-family homes each get their own lot. The location is 11... 04 and 1124 West El Camino Real, and the zoning is El Camino Real mixed use. Is there a staff presentation? Good evening. Yes, we have a presentation. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Cucinotta. I'm a senior planner with um, planning division staff, and um, we're going to talk about the an overview of the the project at hand here. Um, the proposal is a special development permit to demolish the existing um, auto use sales building and um, to construct a seven-story residential mixed-use building along El Camino Real and Grape Avenue. Uh, the ground and second floor of the proposal uh, will be commercial and retail space, a little over 30,000 square feet. And the third story and above will be uh, 111 multifamily residential units, which will be a mix of rental and for sale. And then the proposal also includes construction of five two-story single-family units in the rear of the lot. Along with the SDP is a, a vesting tentative map to subdivide the properties into um, the one mixed-use lot and five single-family lots. So we'll get into more of the details uh, Moving forward, a little bit of the neighborhood context, just to start things off, the subject site comprises two properties at 1104 and 1124 West El Camino Real. Combined, they're about 3.56 acres in area. 
at the corner of El Camino Real or ECR, as we we love to call it, or Grape Avenue and, and Grape Avenue. Uh, immediately adjacent to the site are commercial uses up up and down ECR. To the west is a shopping center funding on Grape Avenue. And um, immediately to the east is the Asian Street Eatery, um, beyond which is the Sunnyvale Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram auto dealer. Um, to the south is a single existing single-family neighborhood. And to the north of ECR and beyond... Uh, the commercial uses across the street are is a mix of multifamily and single-family residential. Next slide, please. Just briefly to touch on the zoning context, the subject sites are zoned ECR MU33, um, MU standing for mixed use, and 33 being the what we call the base maximum density, which is the permitted residential density for the site, which is 33 dwelling units per acre. And um, there's also a ground floor commercial requirement for properties in the ECRMU zoning district. And in the case of this property, the minimum requirement is 30,000 square feet of commercial area. Next slide, please. Just a few other zoning uh, details for context. The uh, maximum building height in, on this property is 85 feet. Um, the El Camino Real specific plan also has some um, um, pedestrian realm requirements, which are the, the frontage requirements along El Camino, uh, which seek to encourage uh, a more pedestrian-friendly environment and uh, more active uses, active retail usage uh, uses. Uh, to encourage people to stop and, and visit the site, uh, people visiting the retail uses primarily. Uh, there's also a daylight plane requirement, which is it's a 45 degree angle that's applied to the property lines that abut a non-specific plan area property. So in this case, it's the single family properties to the south. That's a 45 degree angle that's applied vertically that comprises the, the building envelope. Okay, next slide. Uh, just some more general background. Uh, in, within the city's general plan, uh, the actually the entire specific plan area is has a land use designation of El Camino Real specific plan, uh, which is consistent with uh, the current zoning as well, which is the ECR MU33, as I mentioned. Um, now, this project actually started in 2018 and uh, which was before the specific plan update was adopted. So um, there have already been numerous iterations of plan review for, for this project. And actually the project itself was deemed complete in November, 2019, which in this case exempts the project from the requirement to provide below market rate rental units on site. Um, but it does not exempt the project from below market rate requirements for for sale units. Um, but the the zoning requirements and objective design standards that are part of that, that are current to date now uh, do apply. Um, yeah, just one other comment, I guess, on the specific plan. It, it was adopted last year, as I mentioned, in the zoning that implements the plan went into effect in September, 2022. So, I mean, it's hard to believe it's been over a year already that the plan's been adopted. And this is actually the first big redevelopment project that's 
as far as it is along the within the specific plan area. I'm sure it's felt like much longer to the applicant, but <laughs> they, they we've been working very diligently with them. Um, okay, uh, thanks. Proposed development, as I said, it includes a mixed use building at its tallest, it's seven stories. Uh, portions of the portions of the building are uh, capped at six stories. So it's really just the portion that you see on the rendering on the screen now that's the uh, northwest corner of the lot that would be seven stories. Um, as previously mentioned, the ground and second stories uh, include about 31,000 square feet of proposed commercial floor area, and then the 111 multifamily units uh, above that. There's a bedroom count of 343 for this multifamily component. Um, there are currently no below market rate units proposed, um, but I, I want to defer to the applicant to talk about the um, the unit mix, um, the rental for sale breakdown, um, as that could potentially impact the, the BMR units for um, any rental. Um, and then on the top right of the screen, you see uh, one of the renderings of one of the proposed single family uh, lots. The overall project density is 33 units per acre. So it's within the permitted zoning. Okay, next slide. Uh, just to quickly talk about the, the general site plan details. There's site access from the Northwest corner of the lot along El Camino Real and also on Grape Avenue uh, with a driveway that wraps around the, um, the mixed use building and in front of the single family lots. There's also pedestrian access, the sidewalk that wraps the entire podium building. Um, where you see the commercial space label on the top of this slide, that portion of the building is a seven story portion uh, towards the right where it just says commercial, that's the proposed six story um, piece. Uh, next slide, just moving up to the second floor, just to give you a, a little flavor of what the floor plan looks like. And I know the details are, are hard to make out. Um, there's a commercial mezzanine area on the um, the Western portion of the commercial piece, um, which is about 8,800 square feet of additional um, tenable commercial space. Uh, along the Grape Avenue corner piece, that's actually a, a double high commercial area there. So there's no mezzanine, mezzanine on that place, on that piece. There's also a, the residential lobby, a bike room. Um, there's also podium parking. And one thing I forgot to mention was that the, the parking is below deck at grade and also on the second floor, which is wrapped by the commercial piece on, on the front. Um, okay, next slide just to give you a quick view of the third floor there is now now we're looking at the residential units which wrap an open space and pool amenity area open space landscaping um, and the like uh, and then there are three towers so to speak that are connected by breezeways along the el camino real frontage okay uh, next slide this is just to show you the um the day, how the daylight plane is applied uh, from the property line shared by the single family lots. So the entire development is within that vertical building elevant, uh, ele um, envelope. Next slide. This is just a sample of the single family floor plans 
These are all proposed four bedroom units. They're all two stories, about 25 feet tall. They have uh, full basements and a sunken yard and garden in, in the rear yard. And the structures are set back about 20 feet from the property line shared with the existing single family lots to the south. Okay, next slide. We'll look uh, briefly at the proposed elevations. At the top, you see the full width of the elevation along El Camino Real, where, where you can see a little bit more of the, um, the three tower elements connected by the breezeways. Um, now, just a note on the building height, the, um, the height from the top of curb to the top of the roof itself is 84 feet, 10 inches. Um, to the top of the parapet wall, it's a little taller, it's 88 feet. So that's where we start to exceed the maximum allowed by the zoning. And then on the top of the elevator tower element, we're actually just at about 90 feet. So that that this encompasses one of the deviations that's required for the, the proposal. Um, materials on, on the street facing elevations include primarily smooth texture stucco with metal reveals, uh, fiber cement siding, and a, a precast concrete finish that wraps the, the base of the ground floor, the commercial piece. The um, then uh, the six-story element on the corner of, with Grape Avenue, you see on the bottom two images on the slide here, which is unique in that it has a, a white smooth metal panel element that wraps that full corner. And then there's also a red metal canopy on the, the ground floor commercial piece. Um, and then I'll, I'll defer to the applicant to talk a little bit more about you know, the specifics of um, architectural details um, when, when we get there. Um, next slide. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now, this is uh, another view from the west side. So this would be from the Asian Street Eatery side of the property, where you can see the, the, the two stories of the wrapped um, parking, which is screened by metal decorative screening elements and um, green planter walls. And so this is one piece that we were hoping for some um, some of your feedback, opinions, direction on on the look and feel of of this of this piece. Um, and then if you go to the next slide, you can see the view from the south, which essentially this would function as the front yard view for the those five proposed single family homes. And then if you go one more, you'll see the east side, which will be viewable from Grape, but is partially screened from the existing shopping center along Grape Avenue. Okay, next slide. These are just a few other renderings. The The southwest view is what you would see from, you know, the sidewalk that wraps the property in front of the single family homes. And then the southeast view is from the other side of Grape Avenue. Okay, next slide. These are the pro uh, proposed elevations of the single family homes. Element uh, Elements include textured composite wood siding, smooth textured stucco, and then you can also get a feel of the, the sunken garden on the side elevation there, which would be wrapped by concrete retaining walls and uh, metal guardrails. And proposing composite shingle roofing as well. Okay, next slide. This is the list of deviations that the applicant's requesting. So the first is, as I mentioned, the building height, the code's maximum 
permitted is 85 feet and at its tallest, the building's 90 feet, 10 inches. There's also a minimum required building step back from the build to line. So the build to line essentially functions as a front yard setback, which is along, think of it along the El Camino Real frontage. This is required at the fifth story uh, and above. So it would, the building step would need to be stepped back an additional 10 feet in order to minimize the the bulk of the feel of the bulk of the building where the proposed ranges from as little as two feet, four inches to six feet in some areas. And then the last one's the uh, deviation from the minimum required landscape area. The minimum is 20% of the lot area, a little over 31,000 square feet. And the proposal is 27 to 19 square feet, which is about 17.5%. Okay, uh, next slide. So again, we're just looking for some um, direction on the project design and site planning and um, you know to discuss the requested deviations. Uh, and then I'll just wait, make one comment from um, the public that I received since this agenda went out was that um, someone, a member of the public stated that they were in, generally in opposition to buildings taller than two stories because it's inconsistent with the suburban area, the feel of the suburban area of, um, of Sunnyvale. Okay, thanks. Thank you, and thank you for the presentation. Uh, sir, my, my colleagues, please use the raise hand feature to indicate that you wish to speak. First up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I just had a question about the, uh, uh, you mentioned a little bit, but could you explain a little more the build to line and the new right of way line and why is the right of way line new? And, uh, and I'm thinking more on the ground floor, not in the, uh, Sure. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And it's not really explained by any of the visuals in the slides. So uh, across the entire specific plan area for properties that have frontage on El Camino Real, there's a requirement for a certain sidewalk width that would allow for new street trees to be planted and um, pedestrian scale lighting as well. And then a certain width of the sidewalk behind which would be what we call the new property line behind or rather from that property line that's where we measure the um the the build to line so like i said it kind of functions like a, a front yard setback so there's an additional um i, I forget what how, how wide it is offhand yeah the, the whole thing needs to be about 28 foot from the um 28 feet from the curb to the facade of the building itself. So then between the um, the new property line and the facade of the building, there's some flexibility in terms of what could actually happen in that space. It could be outdoor dining, it could be some display of retail goods, it could be landscaping, um, additional street furniture, right? So that that there's some flexibility in, in that case. And that's 28 feet and the drawings, uh, it looked more like 15, but I guess uh, maybe I'm not. Uh... So it's, it's probably a factor of how the measurements are being broken down on that specific sheet that you're looking at. And but, uh, why would it, why is it a new right of way? Is it, is the curb line changing or something? The curb line and curb location is not changing, but it's, um, it's allowing us to just have consistency across 
the 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 corridor when properties are redeveloped in order to have that consistent look and feel of of that pedestrian realm and and are commercial area front right of way line is the same as the old right of way line there might be some cases when it is this the same location yeah in other cases there might be a a, a need for um uh, um dedication of some of the property frontage in order to account for the the 28 foot wide realm including the sidewalk but you're saying it's 28 feet from the uh curb to the uh facade front facade of the building right right uh i mean it seems on the renderings at least and maybe it's because the building's so tall it, it just looks like it's really crowding that sidewalk area uh for people walking by that uh, uh but maybe it's just the scales next to the really tall building maybe that's what's going on so just to clarify the the entire paved sidewalk space doesn't need to be 28 feet it's just that 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 realm within which some landscaping could be located maybe some um change of grade steps to get up to the the retail frontages could also be located in that space so in this case there is landscaping and there are some there is a change of grade so that that might be why it, it looks um to be broken down in that sense. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. And thank you for your presentation. Um, a question generally, what happens between the building and the single family homes that are existing? Privacy between those two, height, setbacks, etc. I think you said it was 20 foot to the wall um, on the back, what is the nature of the houses that are single family? Are they mostly single single story houses? And what is the line of sight? And what is the height of the um, new single family houses? So actually in the packet, I, I would need to confirm the page, but in the packets, there is actually a rendering shown from Blair Avenue with you know, in one of the existing single family homes and behind which you can see the rendering of the proposed development um, but there will be well, there is currently a, a cmu wall that comprises the property line and, and that's gonna and the height remain. of that wall is uh i don't know offhand I, I could get you that number we could ask the um applicant as well um i just wanted to have a good look at what the privacy between the single family existing single family homes and the proposed single family homes. So I can wait and ask the applicant and all of us can discuss it if we need to. Yeah. And my understanding is that all or most of the single family properties in the rear, and I think all of the properties that immediately abut this subject site are single story. Sure. The, the subject property for tonight, I believe you said was two story. The single family homes are two story. The proposed single family, yes, right. are two story. And yes. the height of those are uh, about 20, approximately 25 feet. 25. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So are they sunken in at all or are they at grade? And is there a grade separation? Because as you start at El Camino and start towards the bay, you have a downward slope towards the bay. 
And in one play, in one case of a recent one, there was a six foot difference between the start of the property and the end of the property, which puts the houses, the existing single family houses, lower than grade of what's being built here, very likely. Yeah, there is a a slight grade change. It's it is lower along El Camino Real. Uh, lower on along El Camino. Slightly, yes, yeah. There because there are, there's a step up to get to the retail space. Okay. Um, it's. Yeah, I I need to look more closely at the plans to confirm. Good that. enough. I'll ask some the same questions of the applicant. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Davis. I'll take my hand. My question was answered. I'll take my hand down. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you, Chair. Great presentation. I have a question about the pathway between the commercial buildings. There are two, the one which goes to seven stories and another one small. Uh, there is a, a space between those two buildings. Is is there a walkway from there to going to the single family homes at the back? So immediately in between those two, the six story piece and the seven story piece right along El Camino Real. Yeah, there's about a 21 foot wide area. between the two. have a walkway. Yeah, it's it's a walkway. There's some proposed seating there. Open to like because this commercial it's going to go through commercial buildings. So the walkway will go all the way to the set of single family homes at the back correct yes yeah there's a direct connection to the sidewalk that then and directly links to the single family homes and, you know yeah the whole project will be sufficiently lit not shown on the plans so just thank you. okay yeah the the lighting plan i think it's one of the last sheets the last few sheets in the packet okay thank you i maybe i didn't see that The chair would observe that there is a photometric, there is in the contents photometric diagrams R1 to R3, but the last sheet that he has is labeled R, is labeled, is labeled L3.2. And then there's a sub, and then there's another sheet that's the visiting kind of track map. So it is. Yeah, my my apologies. I don't think we included the lighting sheet in in your hard copy packet. Um, so the last few pages are the landscaping sheets. But yes, it it would be it would be lit. I'll, I'll let the applicant explain Absolutely. some of the specifics Great. of the bollard lighting throughout. Thank you. And next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, I was grateful that Commissioner Hobb brought this up because I know when we get to the public hearing, somebody from the neighborhood is going to bring it up. Uh, so I was looking at um, on the big packet, page, pages A30, A.36 and A.39 give you a good idea of what it looks like from behind. I noticed that they went to the trouble of making the windows on the south face uh, generally smaller and narrower. I imagine that's probably out of uh, respect for privacy. It uh, looks like really small windows on the bathrooms and then uh, like taller windows on the bedrooms. And uh, this is not a question that 
I'm going to pose, but I know that somebody's going to pose it somewhere along the process. They're going to ask about vision obscuring glass on the south facing windows. To go to the single family residences, uh, you can see that on A26 pretty well. Uh, so on 839 uh, from the street, you can't see the, the single family residences from uh, the next street over, which is not not unusual. Uh, and there's probably going to be some good landscape shading there. Uh, but in terms of worrying about privacy, if you look at A26, uh, running number three, the south elevation, you see the, the typical single family home design guidelines of the second floor, uh, smaller windows uh, that are you know higher on the sight line um, and a couple of larger windows, which I imagine are, are uh, required for egress. And uh, I'll just point out, somebody will ask about vision obscuring glass as a, as a condition of approval on these things. So that's what I've seen. Thank you. Thank you, and I and I just had one question about what we're about what's how specifically the bit about this about the the application being deemed complete applies here because usually when we hear that the application was deemed complete on date X, we're told that we need to be applying all of the standards that were in effect as of that date. But for this project. It, seems that we are applying stand well a we're applying standards that are in the 2022 plan because a lot of the stuff we've been talking about about the streetscape etc were stuff that we i remember discussing in depth when we did the el camino real specific plan the other thing is that i don't even believe if, and stephan can work for me if i'm wrong on this i didn't look up the i didn't specifically look up what the old code but I don't know that this was even a permitted use back in 2019 because I remember we did pass and council adopted on February 7th more, more a change fairly recently to permit auto sales in a ECRMU zoned area. So I'm a little confused as to what what specifically the implication of the 20 of this being deemed complete in 2019 is because it does seem to me we're applying post 2019 standards to this yeah um exactly what happened is the application did come in before we had done the official update to the precise plan um as you mentioned um but the we had enough information at the time to be able to process the application and some of the ordinances that were in place at the time such as the green building ordinance and some of the other ones had specific regulations that um you got locked in at a time of being deemed complete. And so that's why we deemed the project complete at that point, if that makes sense. It make like that makes sense. But what I'm confused is how in that case we are applying post 2019 standards. Like, should we like should because and I think if we do do lock things in at 2019, I have no choice but to say, okay, but the auto stuff isn't a permitted use in 2019, so I can't approve any of this, which I, which is not the road I want to go down, to be clear, but. Right. Um, so, I mean, part of the thing that we've done working with the applicant is as we develop the update to this precise plan to make it a specific plan, uh, we worked through the specific plan development to, and the applicant to make sure that the zoning regulations, um, build two lines and all that kind of stuff kind of complied with what they had originally proposed um, to make it fit into the site uh, a little bit better. 
And so that's why it's taken a little bit longer for this application to get through the process because they had to wait for the specific plan to be approved. Um, and also, as you noted, at, at the kind of very end of when we were doing the specific plan adoption, we added in that additional land use for uh, auto showroom, and that was to accommodate uh, this development. And so now that it's in the code, even though it was deemed complete in, in the past, uh, that locked it in for some of the things. But because the ordinance has been updated for land uses, those don't have an effective date as far as when and when they do not go into effect. So those would still apply and they'd be able to use that uh, use for the auto showroom for this development. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Howard, did you have? Oh, okay. Uh, in the, okay, I have no other commissioner questions, so I will go to the applicant. Uh, I'd suggest you try to keep your initial presentation to around to out to no more than ten minutes, just in the just because we've got about twenty seven minutes left in the study session, and there's go, we want to have plenty of time for commissioner questions and feedback. Please proceed. Well, good evening. I'm very happy to be here. After, Make sure uh, you're speaking into the mic. Okay. That better? Yep. Um, I'm very happy to be here. I'm John Thatch, Dolan Group Architecture and Planning. Um, so we're the architects and planners on this project. Uh, it's been a long time. I'll try to be brief here, but give a little bit of history. We, again, designed this, and then we went, we're asked to say, hold off for the specific plan. We held off. Uh, tried, again, worked with staff a lot, and here we are today. So we're very happy to be here today uh, presenting this project. A uh, couple of comments maybe beforehand uh, was mentioned about the single family units. They are you know, 20 foot to the plate. They go up to a 25 foot ridge. The windows are looked at on the second floor, looking at main windows, looking away from our neighbors. If you also look at that back area, all the neighbors have mature trees solid across that edge. And we are also looking at, again, doing the same thing as we proceed with this, uh, our community. You go to the next slide, please. Uh, just talked about a little bit the landscape. I'm not showing all the trees in back. I missed that. Um, I apologize to Jeff. I didn't have colored graphics until this weekend as far as showing things. Uh, we're doing as far as the paving going around the project is all sort of decorative, you know, either concrete pavers or decorative, you know, colored asphalt as far as the paving going around it, trying to really create that pedestrian atmosphere. Mentioned about earlier about the passageway through between A, B, and C. That passageways comes through it's big it's going to be tall i think and really gracious that'll be also the main entry you know coming into the podium building but also it continues on a walkway that connects to all the residential units and that walkway loops all the way back to ecr if you go to the next one please uh and again big thing i wanted to promote is what we're doing in the back i think the big thing for this project is not just doing that 45 degree angle but also making a transition from the two-story homes that one resident mentioned uh, you know, to our building. We're 110 feet from their property line to our building, and we fit well under that 45-degree angle. But we also thought it was just really good to have sort of this transition of these really nice homes that are in the neighborhood of, you know, 2,000 above and about, a, you know, 1,200-square-foot basement below, which offers a lot of flexibility. And the one thing I wanted to mention at the beginning, we really looked at this project, even though it has a density to it, as a family project. The units are bigger. We're two, three, and four bedroom units as far as in the podium. And the same thing with here. So as opposed to a lot of other, you know, denser projects, there are a lot of units and smaller. We looked at a family option as far as how this project was developed. Next slide, please. 
And a big part with us was working with Toyota and Steve Brinkman, the owner, you know, their families own the site, I think for 60, 70 years and several different dealerships, how we keep that and, and working with Toyota, what they could do, uh, creating a really neat, uh, you know, showroom. We have like a 23 plus ceiling for part of it. And then there's a mezzanine. So it's going to be a great storefront. And I think a really a jewel as far as how the architecture works with this. So this drawing shows again, the, the commercial It shows the, uh, lobby for the residential and all the parking that you see on this level except for a few of parking around for the residents is for the commercial next slide please uh the area i think a lot of discussion with the city was about uh, okay how are we going to deliver the cars the upper left you'll see that's a sort of an area where they can unload cars we're not going to have to unload on the street uh, the other side over on the right side, that's for smaller delivery. So we have these delivery areas as far as what happens and also have worked closely with trash about how trash is going to be handled on the site, which is a big deal as far as how we're working with this. Next slide, please. Uh, this is the lower garage. The, the bottom part of the page, that's all for residences. So that's private garage for the residences above. Uh, the upper part of the page is extra parking or storage for the auto dealership. So that could also be an area that's secured. Uh, there's also, you see in the middle, middle, upper middle right, there's a lobby for the residents to go up and two elevators to serve the building. Next slide. And then the upper level, uh, which is also the mezzanine level, we have, uh, again, more resident parking. And they also have a lobby on this area that you can see adjacent to the mezzanine area. The one other item that we're working on, maybe a small item was mentioned, is that we're, again, with EV bikes. We're looking at creating a separate bike storage for that with, you know, concrete block and very secure concrete ceiling. Uh, we've heard of different situations with electric bikes. My wife owns one, but um, ours hasn't exploded yet. But looking at those possibilities about where they go and really providing more bikes than we need. I have four bikes and probably some of these residents are going to probably have a couple also. Next, please. Uh, this is the podium level uh, showing the light beige are our three bedroom units. Uh, the khaki color there's uh, over in the middle are our two bedrooms and the darker colors are our, excuse me, I got it reversed. Uh, the beige colors are the four bedrooms and the, the, the darker, a little bit darker color are our, Oh, excuse me, I have it mixed up again. Never mind. But it's, it's a mixture of, of twos, threes, and fours. The purple area or the mauve area that you see there is we have a three-story sort of a gym, club, workout area, uh, which overlooks, again, our amenity area here. Next slide, please. This shows you, again, what we've been doing working with Jet Landscape as far as the landscape. We have a you know great pool that can be you know for laps. We have an outside terrace outside of the gym. Uh, we're going to have a, a really neat barbecue area. Uh, we have a spa, and I think this is going to be very attractive. Next, please. And this gives you a feeling for what that area is going to look like. This is not your normal courtyard of, I think, of the condominiums and apartments that you see in town, uh, but very, I think, attractive how it works. Next, please. And again, our upper floor, this is the seventh floor. You can see in the upper right where the roof of I guess we're calling Building C on the corner of Grape and ECR. And then also, again, part of it I didn't mention, you'll see that little graphic in the lower right. We really, considering how the buildings work, we have three buildings. We have A, B, and C. There's 20-foot gaps in them with, you know, bridges that go across that are very lightweight as far as how they look and how they appear. Next, please. 
this is a streetscape. The lower elevation is El Camino. And again, I can you can see sort of how they have the breaks about going from right to left, A, B, and C building as far as the breaks. And again, working with Toyota as far as what they needed as far as the materials, the metal paneling that Jeff mentioned is, is sort of their trademark. The red is their trademark. Uh, they wanted the yellow or the uh, our smooth plaster. They, they would prefer that to be silver, but we didn't think that was appropriate for the community. Uh, the upper slide is when it wraps around grape and the building in front of it. Um, and a little bit down, you, you mentioned about the pedestrian realm. This might look a little bit more like 28 feet in the lower exhibit there. You can see because it does have a couple, does have a little bit of movement on the sidewalk. And actually the back of the lot is actually the high point. And we are level to our neighbors on the backside or within a foot of their, their, of their site. Next. Uh, this is the corner, the north, excuse me. The southwest corner, you know, looking at the corner again, very prominent, really trying to play up that activity and that energy with Toyota. Uh, next, uh, this is the um, southeast corner, and keep one more. And this is where we wrap around grape. Uh, again, there's again there's a big break in grape. How the building works. Next, please. Uh, this shows the section that Jeff showed again the 45 degree angle. You can see our buildings basically, they go from 20 foot at the plate to 25 foot ridge. You can see there's a big setback from our neighbors. And if you go see it, it's solid trees on our neighbor's side. And again, we're very conscious of the windows and their privacy is how we create this. The same thing for the podium building, the main windows uh, are facing the courtyard and they're not facing towards our neighbors. Next one. Uh, again, this is a view, you know, showing, you know, how we're looking at articulating our garage and how the residential our single family homes on the right side work. Next. And this is a view from the street behind us, you know, looking back uh, again from our property line, we're 110 feet to the tall structure, or, you know, from those homes who are 130 feet minimum, uh, but from the back of their homes to the podium building. And again, you can also see again, their tree lines, you know, this is what the trees they have already, which are taller than our residents behind us. And next, this one maybe is hard to see, but this is trying to say how we're looking at articulating the building a little different than the specific plan. The dark blue areas represents areas that are pushed back, you know, you know, seven to eight feet, actually. The light blue is the area that's the build to line where it's 28 feet. And then those offsets you can see are, you know, six feet back on the ground level. And then there are 34 feet where you see the mauve color, where we have those bridges connecting the three buildings. The area that Jeff talked about where we exceed the height limit is those red areas on top on the A and B buildings. So we only have four of those areas. And we really like to how that articulation worked with the building, what it added to the elevation. Part of what happens to these buildings is when we get to say more of the family units and a little bit bigger floor sizes, we're getting into a bigger trust to make sure we don't hear any bouncing or we have any problems, which you now can be a hassle as far as squeaking noises, noise and water are the biggest problems on these projects like this. The other item I know my client would like me to mention, part of the problem we have maybe with doing, we're articulating a lot here, it's not articulated as the specific plan, is we're very concerned about water. We have that offset. This is a wood building. 
and that water getting in and causing damage in long term. So looking at that, looking at maybe other ways to create that variety, I think that Sunnyvale wants and that we want in the project. And uh, that ends my presentation. I went real fast, so I'm sure whatever questions you may have. Thank you. I was just about to mention that it had been about 10 minutes. So <laughs> good job on the time. Uh, your first question is from Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Um, I really liked it. Uh, a few things. First of all, thank you for building fam for proposing family-sized units. Um, uh, I, I really hope that Senegal remains a place where people... Yeah where housing units are big enough to raise families. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I do wonder about the single family homes. Uh, I live in a single family home. I've lived in single family homes most of my life, including my childhood. And the biggest downside of single family homes is the isolation. And the way this is situated, these homes are going to be incredibly isolated uh, from the neighborhood behind them. There's no way to get them. Um, and then, you know, all your neighbor, your neighbors in the, in the podium building are all several stories above you. So I, I don't quite understand what the motivation is for including those. I think the big part was making the transition. We're also looking at their family homes and the podium building, you know, the amenities that we have for the, for the, I keep saying podium, but we need to have a better, a mm -hmm. higher density building will be open to these residents. So we're looking at building the community with with all of it and also trying to be good neighbors with our adjacent neighbors as far as how we're working this so they will be connected and i think uh, as far as the amenities and that type is what we looked at as far as how we why we designed it that way okay um and then see so going um a point about the pool um there's always a shortage of pools where you can actually swim laps uh regulation linked laps so if it's possible to actually make it 25 meters long uh, where you could put lanes in, uh, that would be great. Um, even if it's a little bit skinnier, <laughs> uh, there's just, it's always hard finding places to swim laps. Um, and EV chargers um, for, there's a lot, there's a lot of parking for residents and so on. Um, what's the charging situation going to be like? Uh, we're, you know, we're living to city standards. As far as that, if you go through the submittal, the first couple pages, they'll list all that. There's, there's a lot of listings about accessible mm -hmm. EV chargers um, for residents and also for the commercial visitors. Okay. And then um, uh, Mr. Kusunoto was, was saying you wanted some feedback on the look and feel. Um, honestly, it looks a little bit like Lego put together. Okay. Um, the, the bottom is nice. It seems very... Uh, you know, the, the commercial area is, is, is very nice, but then it just seems like a jumble of colors put together. Uh, we've had some really nice things come before us recently um, in the uh, Lawrence station area. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that we're perhaps overly prescriptive with our design standards, uh, but they managed to thread the needle on it. Um I understand you, you've got a lot of constraints, right? And you're broadly compliant with the zoning and so on. So that's just the feedback is it just feels a little jumbled to me. Okay. okay. But overall, very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. Um, the staff said that you would know how many are rentals and of the 111 and how many are for sale. Unfortunately, no, I cannot answer it. My client could answer that, but he is not here tonight. 
so we can get that information for you. So I don't have nothing. I don't have it tonight. Okay. When this comes back to the planning commission, assuming that it will come back to the planning commission, uh, would you uh, have that information? Yes. Second question: the new single-family houses facing the existing single-family houses. Is there a balcony or something like that on the facing the existing single family houses from the new single family houses? Are you asking me if there's balconies on the new houses? Facing the old houses. No. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, I uh, first of all, thank you for the great presentation. Um, I know my fellow commissioner, I have question which coincides with one and I have a different opinion about the looks because I think you have put um, details on the uh, windows and details about around the windows and, you know, the small, small at this human scale architecture. So I appreciate it. Uh, my question is um, about the... Uh, you have created the separation zone by uh, between the existing residential community and by providing single family homes. That's a creative way to get rid of com uh, comments and complaints about the existing neighbors. Now, uh, my question is that why don't you uh, make it more so they can uh, collaborate with the existing, the new communities, meaning that the wall you are creating at the parking lot in the front, which is like a stark geometric, it's like a separation wall with the green wall, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help um, to collect uh, like a kind of a, what is it, community space. So I would, I would like to see like more like a, have a variations uh, creating a space underneath or coming down like there is a staircase which goes from podium to the mm -hmm. ground but it's more visible staircase so you can go up or like maybe they can come to a mid-level and then kind of have visual connection okay. because I think that um, mm -hmm. just creating those geometric green wall doesn't do anything yeah. when you come out it's like a prison wall so I definitely like to see variations or maybe play with something and more than the just materials, the space creation uh, where people can go, like the existing residents, they can go and do something or the kids can play or like mountain climbing or something like that. Uh, that's my suggestions. And then third one is the, uh, the BMR, you did not propose any Oh, no, below mark rate. No, we're not proposing And that. that is like, did you have any, just like it's a specific reason or what? I think, again, to pull this project off, I mean, this project's expensive. And, you know, as far as, you know, we have three levels of concrete, we're trying to get Toyota in. Uh, I think it's just in the complexity of, of putting this together. I can understand. Yeah, so that's the, and then rest of it, let me see another one. Yeah, I think otherwise I am kind of um, excited too. It's a very creative way to to come up uh, with this kind of mixed use. And um, well, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Mr. Sroni. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I had a question about, I think one of your slides, it was maybe it said A13 on it. Uh, there weren't, uh, I couldn't see a page number. 
Could we look at that again? Or it was slide 17 on Jeff's presentation. Either one. Is it possible to pull that up? Okay, thank you. Uh, well, A13, I mean. <laughs> what, what is it, is it a section or is it? It's a, it's a rendering. Is it? Yeah, you know, here. So what what are we looking at in the bottom left hand corner there? That's that's an existing uh, retail store. That's so right now. There's a wall on the uh, what would be the right side of that. Is that going away? The right wall. The wall would stay as far as I know. We haven't talked to, as far as I know. We have not talked to the owner about taking it down. I'd love to take it down, but I can't tell you okay. it is. Yeah, I was wondering between if there's the, a wall across the, the back, the, the walls, you know, the wall's there now because, of, you know, it's an auto dealership and it's a little softer use over to the left. Okay, well, uh, and I had another question on uh, one of the uh, drawings. There's on the drainage, uh, grading and drainage plan. Uh, yeah. You show on the on the. Single family homes, you show there's something there called AD with pump. What is that? AD with pump. My presumption is we're we're going to have to, again, for that lower area, for the basement area, we need to make sure we can get the, or the water gets pumped out of that for drainage. It's like a sump pump. Yes. The, uh, and what, what if those pumps uh, fail? Well, there'll be the redundancy. I, I can't answer that right now. Uh, okay. Um, That'd be a question the civil well, can probably answer. My question is, you know, is, it, is there potentially going to be some water? And the, the pump sits, it looks like 10 feet below, you know, the, the, the grade in that area. Maybe it's in the basement, I suppose. And uh, so, you know, is there any, any flood danger with... Uh, uh, well, the homes on the other side of the wall. Uh, we're not going to want that, and the client's not going to that. And we're going to again, we're going to come up with a system that's going to work. I lived with a house like with a pump, like what you're talking about, long fifty years ago, and I know that can be. We need to make sure it works. Okay. Well, I have too. We a while back we had a project where they were grading the whole thing to avoid a, a low spot on the uh, on the border between uh, adjacent homes and. Part of the rationale being that, uh, yes, you could pump it out, but then if the pump fails, then, and they said, well, the pumps, pumps were discouraged because of that, uh, you know. Well, I, we, we can also double check again that note with the civil, whether they're, you know, where the drain line and storm line is for sure. That's not something I'm fully aware of. So I apologize for that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, I'm going to go to Commissioner Howard next, but before I do, I'm just going to say that if you are a member of the public and you want to speak on this item, I please get your digital hand up now so I have a sense of how much time, how many people want to speak on this slash how much time I'm going to give anyone that wants to speak on this. Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. This is more feedback than questions. Uh, the bike rooms are very interesting that there's there's a smaller one and a larger one, and there's a provision for e-bikes. Uh, some of the notes that I had is uh, if you've got these wall racks where you've got to lift the bike up, not everybody has the, the strength to get the bikes up. And then if you're talking about e-bikes, that's even heavier and some people can't handle it. That, that I know. Yeah. 
my other concern is uh, cargo bikes because uh, I have a cargo bike. Oh. It, it's nice to have, in addition to you know, can be making room for the people who can't lift the bike up. If there's room for the big lumpy bike to sit somewhere, that's good too. It looks like there's some room on the second floor. I kind of like that. Uh, there's there's a decent story for not trying to take the cargo bike into the elevator. It looks like on the second floor you can come out to the lobby. Then you can come out through the uh, accessible parking area and then zip down the ramp, and that that's kind of nice. Um, but keeping in mind these design constraints is always great. And it looks like you've done that to some extent. So well, thank you. Jeff and Sean have brought up a few points about the bikes. We've been, we've been talking and it's been a, been an evolution. I see more of it. Like I said, I own lots of bikes, so All right. I understand well, I, it. I'll, I'll pedal over and check it out if you, if you like. Um, and as far as aesthetics, so I try not to, if some people really like getting aesthetics. I try to avoid aesthetics. Um, and but but two notes I made is uh you'd mentioned that Toyota was interested in in sort of a gray facade to kind of go with their corporate colors and you're like oh no that might be overdoing it, um my own feedback would be like a some gray on the facade or, or silver metallic whatever it is might be more interesting than this kind of beige stuff we got beige all over the city and every time a building kind of defies this generic sensibility and says hey I'm a little different look at me makes me smile yeah. uh, for one. And then the, I, I, th I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that. Um, <clears throat> so with design, there, there's always debates back and forth. Oh, is, is there an architectural fad? There's all oh, you have to articulate the facade. You have to articulate the facade. You have to, I've been hearing that for years and years and years and years. And that's, I don't know why you have to articulate the facade, but that's the current design aesthetic. Um, and I don't, I don't really have an opinion on that. I do like the idea of uh, form or function dictating form to some extent that that, that that form should follow function. And your mention tonight of the uh, the concerns with articulating the facade with wood, uh, with timber construction um, and water infiltration. I thought that was very interesting because that implies to me, at least uh, from one perspective, the this this fetish with articulating the facade. Um, maybe undermines the, the the ability to do an efficient form uh timber construction is, is probably you know I, I, there, there's pros and cons and limitations but it's a green building material it sinks carbon it's the sort of thing that we want to promote and if the design aesthetic of articulating the facade is not as consistent with timber construction that might be something we, we want to rethink policy-wise so thank you for bringing a, a lovely design to the city and thank you for your client for trying to do something forward thinking. Thank, thank you. you. Next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. A question of staff. I believe in the presentation, you said that there would be below market rate units in the for sale properties and not below market rate in the rental properties. Is that correct? Right. They would be subject to the BMR requirements there for go. the for sale units. Would you um, notify? give the information of how many are rental and how many are for sale and what the BMR requirements are to the planning commission in an email. What the proposal is. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't have that information myself. That's, that's why I said, but yeah, do it we can email. provide it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And uh, from just, I had just a few thoughts and we're running low on time. So I'll try okay. to keep it brief. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd echo the comment what commissioner house said about wanting that information i'd also note that i'd also like i'd like that information by the time we get this back at a public hearing and i mm. honestly i'd like it in the staff report for that hearing if at all possible i know that if we get like if we get an email like next week and then this doesn't come back for a public hearing for several months 
I know there's a very good chance I will lose track of it. So just make, just make, just if, as long as we get that time for the bubble caring, I'd also like to see re- the responses for to Commissioner Cerrone's question by the time we get this for a public hearing. Uh, uh, the, uh, thoughts on the, uh, my question, my question for you, uh, my question for you was, uh, uh, has there been any kind of analysis of whether the, there's going to be any, how kind of the like emissions proofing for lack of a better term for the residential uses? Because I, and part of it is just El Camino is a busy street, but just there's going to be a lot of automobile traffic in and out of the depths of the building. And I just want to make sure that's not going to cause any health health impacts for the residents i i don't believe so I, again the way they the traffic is is coming into the site you know they're going into the garage again minimum traffic going back to the five units because where the garages are located where the ramps are located before you get to the homes um so i think as far as where the traffic is the only spot we have which again is probably the walkway that comes through the middle you know it crosses that area but i don't think the traffic is going to be that extreme as far as you know going around to that portion we also have the two entrances to the garage both el camino and grape so i think we have a dispersion of the traffic as far as how it works um and again part of what's going to happen too with the garage is you know how it gets ventilated and things like that that i think will be an improvement than just an open parking lot yeah yeah i definitely do think this is a better design than having large tracts of land that's just a parking lot yeah. and just a parking lot i always like seeing the parking integrate into the structure like that i think that's a definite positive of this design my my, my actual biggest concern is just is just the amount of vehicle flow i know that you know you'll have people at test driving cars and such and yeah. Well, I guess I'm hoping with, again, the transit stops we have, yep. uh, electric bikes and scooters, which I do all the time wherever I can. And hopefully, again, our culture changes a little bit. Yeah, no, I I definitely share that hope. Uh, uh, th- uh, I want to make sh- I w- want to make sure and I think at this point this is more for the public hearing but I don't want to make sure that the pedestrian pathways are well lit especially at night yes. that there's no shadowy corners or something I I suspect this is addressed in the photometric drawings but we didn't get those I hope we will get to like if yes. we didn't if this was the public hearing and we hadn't gotten those frankly that would be something I'd probably ask for a continuance on but I don't, I assume that I, they are drawn and they're, and there's bollards and street lights. So it's well lit. It's well planned. Yep. I, I believe, I believe you. (laughs) I just, I just want to see it by the time we get public hearing. Uh, uh, Regarding the architecture, I agree a lot with what my fellow commissioners already said. It's, I like to see distinctive architecture in the city. Uh, I'm not going to repeat, especially what commissioner Howard just said, because again, we're, already three minutes over but uh <laughs> it's but yeah any but yeah like i particularly like how the commercial side of this does emphasize kind of the function of this that it's not retail so people probably have to walk in and see whatever new whatever cool new cars toyota has put out i i do think in general it's nice to have buildings that don't look like like all the like the other all the other buildings as much as possible uh with uh, and with that, uh, I I believe that covers every that covered what staff wanted. I think the the deviate the deviations seem broadly reasonable to me. I'll probably want to go over them again when we come when this comes back. Uh, so 
Thank you for well, your thank all of you. Thank you. Yep. And I will go ahead and open public comment on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit the speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand button now or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I'll call upon members participating in person first, and the recording officer will ask their participants to unmute their microphone while just there to introduce the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes. Will have, will have three minutes to speak. Uh, okay. I'm at, okay. I didn't know we had a speaker card on this. So speakers will have 90, I'm going to cut that to speakers will have 90 seconds to speak. We are, we are over time on the study session. So speakers will have 90 seconds to speak. Uh, uh, the timer and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have one in-person speaker card on this item. We have one person speaker card on this item. Uh, first up is uh, Jaime Vasquez. Uh. Good afternoon, Chair and Planning Commissioner Officer. My name is Jaime Vasquez, and I'm a field representative out of Local 405 that covers the county of Santa Clara County. Um, I'm here today to address the critical aspect of labor standards. It is essential that we acknowledge that. Oh, uh, before you proceed, is this about this specific project or is this more general? Uh, about the project since... Oh, okay, please proceed. I'm here today to address um, critical aspects about labor standards. It's essential that we acknowledge the importance of implementing robust labor standards with projects committee like the one that just got presented. Um, first and foremost, labor standards and a fund foundation of fair and just society that ensure that every worker, regardless of their background, is treated with dignity and respect and fairness, which aims to provide health care, state-certified apprenticeship, and level wages to our local working class. Maintaining high labor standards is not just an option, it is essential. Uh, by implementing labor standards, we not only adhere to ethical principles, but also ensure the long-term prosperity to the community. Let us ensure that we have labor standards and developments like this. Um, that's all I got. Thank, Thank you, you guys for your time. Yep. Thank you. And uh, I have no other in-person speaker cards. Is anyone else interested in this item before I hear from remote speakers? Seeing none, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Yes, Chair, we have one hand raised. I'll allow Stephen Meyer the floor to speak. Hello, good evening. Planning Commissioners, thank you for your time this evening. This is a wonderful project. Um, it's density in the right place. I love it. My main concern is regarding transportation safety. Uh, the lane on El Camino should be prioritized for transit, for ride share surfaces. Uh, there should be no parked cars on that lane in front of the building. Um, there are two curb cuts. There will be a lot of traffic and staging, and that's all great, but there's no purpose for parked cars on El Camino Real. Uh, that's the extent of my comment. Thank you. Thank you. I I believe we have no other remote speakers. We do not, Chair. Thank you. Uh, I will go ahead and close public comment on this item. Thank you. Thank you for your time this evening. Uh, this study session of the Sunnyvale Planning Commission is adjourned at 7.07 p.m. I'd prefer, there's one item, so I'd prefer to go into it. So I'll just give a moment to reset papers. So just give like a minute.
Uh, I'm I'm gonna start. Like, does anybody need any more time? Because otherwise, because I, I want to get down. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, give it a seven fifteen. Okay. Thank you so much. Some biological needs that I needed to be met.
Good evening, let's call to order the Sunnyvale Planning Commission of uh, Monday, November 27, 2023 at seven o'clock p.m. The city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, Remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time, and a random order voice vote will be administered by the recording officer for each vote. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the recording officer in person or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak that star nine on a telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the show captions button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on the agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their minutes no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the meeting agenda. Please join me in the salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Recording officer, may we please have the roll call? Commissioner Shukla? Present. Commissioner Soroni? Present. Chair Pine? Present. Commissioner Howard? Here. Commissioner Davis? Present. Commissioner Howe. Present. We have six commissioners present, and the absence of Vice Chair Iglesias is excused. Thank you. That brings us to oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the Planning Commission on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the public hearing's general business section of the agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum of up to three minutes per speaker. As a reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, raise your digital hand now, or dial star 9 on a telephone if you wish to address the Planning Commission. I will call members of the public participating in person first, then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak, and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have no in-person speaker cards. Is anyone else interested in speaking under oral communications before we hear from remote speakers? Seeing none, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak under oral communications? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close oral communications. That brings us to the consent calendar. I'll go ahead and open public comment on consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address the planning commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I'll compound members of the public participating in person first, then the recording officer asks remote participants to unmute the microphone when it is their turn to address the planning commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have no in-person speakers on the consent calendar. Recording officer, do you have any remote participants wishing to speak on the consent calendar? We do not chair. Thank you. Uh, I will close public comment and I will now ask for a motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Howe. I move the consent calendar as written. Approve the Planning Commission yep. meeting minutes of November 13th. 
Thank you. Uh, uh, I, uh, Commissioner Davis. Second the motion. Uh, the I would just like to propose one correction to the minutes, which is at the very bottom of page four. Uh, it should say spoke and not spoked. Steph, did you capture that? I consent. Thank you. Uh, recording officer, uh, please conduct a roll call vote on the consent calendar. Commissioner Cerrone? Yes. Commissioner Howard? Yes. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. Chair Pine? Yes. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Commissioner Howe? Yes. The motion passes with six yeses and Vice Chair Glacius absent. Thank you. And moving on to our our public hearings general business section of the agenda. Our one item tonight is item 23-1094, forward recommendation to the city council to adopt a resolution to amend the general plan by adopting the 2023 the 2023 to 2031 housing element and adopt a negative CEQA declaration for the 2023 to 2031 housing element. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Uh, good evening, commissioners. I'm Ryan Dyson, housing specialist. And with me tonight, I have our consultant with Incent Environmental, Chelsea Payne. She's joining us remotely. Also got Ernie DeFrenchy, our affordable housing manager, um, Trudy Ryan, Community Development Director, Sean Mendrin, Planning Officer, and Rebecca Moon, our uh, City Attorney. Um, so tonight we'll be discussing the City's 2023-2031 Housing Element Update. And uh, I'll go over our agenda for tonight. So we'll be beginning with a general overview of the Housing Element as a refresher. We will go over the City's Housing Element Update timeline to tell you how we got to where we're at now. Um, and then we will highlight a few key topics in the city's housing element that generated the most interest from the public and from the state's reviewers. We'll discuss the city's housing capacity for the 2023-2031 planning period and our final sites inventory, the CEQA process for this update and our next steps and uh, recommendation. So to begin with, I'll start with uh, just a brief overview of the housing element. Um, the housing element is the city's plan to meet the housing needs of our community. It's a required element of the general plan. It's one of the primary goals of the housing element is to demonstrate that the city can accommodate its fair share of the regional housing need. And this need is defined by the regional housing needs allocation or RENA, which I'll discuss a little more on one of the next slides. Housing elements are updated on eight year cycles. So this update is for the 2023-2031 um, period. And this is the sixth cycle of housing elements. Unlike other elements of the general plan, this housing element is also required to be reviewed and certified by the state's Department of Housing and Community Development or HCD. And for this cycle, the HCD review process has been very stringent and uh, we'll touch on a couple of the key issues that HCD brought up later in the presentation. So some of the most important components of the housing element are shown on this slide. We have the housing needs assessment, which is an analysis of demographic and housing trends and existing conditions in the city. 
We have our fair housing assessment, which is a new requirement of the sixth cycle of the housing element. Uh, this is a study of the city's plans and policies uh, with specific attention to how they affect low-income housing and its access to opportunity, which includes jobs, education, health services, and transportation. And I'll talk a little bit more about this on a future slide. Um, then we have the evaluation of a previous housing element, which is an assessment of the progress in implementing the policies and programs of the previous housing element. Back one slide, please. Thank you. Uh, we have our site's inventory, which is an identification of sites available for housing development. Uh, the site's inventory must ensure there's enough capacity to meet the regional housing needs allocation or RENA and include a substantial buffer as we track housing production throughout the cycle. We also have an analysis of constraints, which is an assessment of governmental and non-governmental constraints to the development of housing. And all of these components, we combine with input from the community, from commissions, and from council uh, to help inform the city's policies and programs. We have a total of 45 programs in the housing element, so we'll be very busy once this is adopted. And uh, these programs will be implemented over the eight-year planning period. Next slide, please. Uh, so as I mentioned in the previous slide, the city's regional housing needs allocation arena is the projected number of housing units that the city needs to accommodate for the 2023-2031 planning period. This number is determined through the state's population projections for the region. And then the for the Bay Area, the Regional Council of Governments, the Association of Bay Area Governments, or ABAG, assigns each jurisdiction in the Bay Area their arena numbers. In the case of Sunnyvale, our total arena is 11,966 units, which you can see there at the bottom of the screen. This total arena is further classified into different income categories so that housing units are affordable to a range of incomes, including very low, mo low, moderate, and above moderate incomes. In the case of Sunnyvale, about 3,000 units should be affordable to very low incomes, about 2,000 affordable to low incomes, another 2,000 affordable to moderate incomes, and about 5,000 for above moderate income households. This chart also demonstrates the change in RENA from the most recent cycle, which was 2015 to 23. Uh, that RENA was only about 5,500 units uh, compared to the 2023-2031 cycle, uh, which is closer to 12,000 units or more than double what that cycle was. This is not an unusual increase. Most jurisdictions um, across the state saw a, a similar increase or perhaps even more. Um, and it, it's a result of the state's uh, efforts to increase housing production across the state. And I will add that the city was able to meet its total arena for the previous cycle, um, issuing building permits for about 5,700 units. Next slide, please. Aside from the arena, another extremely important component for this cycle is the fair housing assessment. This is a new requirement brought upon by AB 686, which expands the housing elements duty to affirmatively further fair housing, uh, which we often refer to as AFFH. This means that housing elements are now required to equitably include the community in the outreach, outreach process, conduct a fair housing assessment of the city looking at different demographic factors such as segregation and integration, displacement risk, and disparities in access to opportunity uh, throughout the city. 
And based on this assessment, we adopt policies and programs to address and remediate any fair housing issues. And uh, the affirmatively furthering fair housing and the fair housing assessment will come into play in several of the key topics that I'll discuss later uh, in the presentation. Next slide, please. But for now, let's talk about where we're at and how we got here. Uh, so just off the bat, this slide condenses a significant amount of information and work into a few bullet points. Um, our housing update process has lasted over two years now with the project kickoff in August 2021. The update process has included about 20 community meetings, four different public drafts, two errata to those drafts, and two formal HCD comment letters. This is in addition to conversations, informal conversations with HCD um, and other stakeholder meetings. We previously came to this commission on May 23rd, 2022 uh, with the first of those public drafts, the public review draft. At that meeting, planning commission recommended that council approve the public draft with modifications based on commissioner feedback and current and future public comment. Uh, staff included several of the commission's suggested changes uh, for example, Chair Pine's suggestion to replace the term majority with plurality in cases where specific demographic groups do not constitute a true majority of 51% or more. Uh, we replaced the, the term majority, not with plurality, but with predominance, which achieves the same intent. Uh, we also, um, Chair Pine's request to reassess the implementation timelines for many of the programs. Uh, we assessed those timelines and we've modified a few of those based on uh, that initial assessment and we've continued to modify timelines based on uh, HCD and public comment as well. Then Commissioner Weiss also requested that staff address overcrowding and the need for larger unit sizes with more specific language. Uh, we, do, we did at the time already have a policy for family-friendly housing that encourages developers to build housing that can accommodate the needs of large families. Uh, so we, uh, we, that policy remained in the housing element, and we added some language to uh, another chapter of the housing element to explain that many of the city's programs to increase housing supply and affordable housing uh, would increase the supply and reduce overcrowding. Um, Commissioner Weiss also requested that staff use more recent data. Uh, in that case, the, the city uses data that comes from ABAG's uh, data packages. And a lot of that data is uh, fairly out of date. It comes from 2016 um, or a little bit later than that in most cases. However, it's very specialized data using the CHAS uh, census data. Uh, so we need to use that for our fair housing assessment and, and several of the housing assessment components. Where it was possible, we did update with new data, especially related to housing costs. Um, so, Going back to the timeline, uh, the last time we came to this commission was in May 2022 with that public review draft. Uh, we then, with council approval, sent that draft with those changes uh, that I discussed and several other changes requested by council and the community to HCD for comment uh, in July of 2022. Following their 90-day review, HCD issued their first comment letter. And at that time, staff took quite a bit of time to prepare a response to HCD. Uh, we scheduled several stakeholder meetings with uh, several of our community groups that have been very involved in the process uh, to, dis to discuss their concerns over the housing element and uh, reach a resolution. Uh, 
We then went to housing or we went to city council, excuse me, uh, for a study session and made some updates uh, uh, addressing some key issues that I'll discuss later on as well. Uh, following that council study session, we revised the draft in May 24th, 2023 and sent that to HCD. Uh, we then received our second, uh, well, excuse me, let me back up. We then uh, had a, an informal conversation with HCD about the revised HCD draft and issued an errata to address some of their immediate concerns. HCD then sent us their comment letter in July of 2023. Uh, based on those comments, we quickly completed a second revised draft that was uh, sent to HCD in October. Uh, during that time, we also initiated the CEQA uh, initial study negative declaration public review period, which began on October 20th and ended on November 20th. Um, we also had a informal call with HCD on November 16th that resulted in a second errata to the uh, second revised HCD draft. And based on those conversations with HCD and the second errata that was just released on November 17th, staff is very positive. Uh, we've heard very positive things from HCD um, and we believe we've addressed all of their concerns, especially with the latest errata. We're now here uh, for adoption hearings, uh, beginning with the planning commission tonight. We'll be going to housing and human services on Wednesday, and we plan to take it to city council on December 12th for final adoption. Next slide, please. So in order to get us to this adoption stage, I'll go over the three key topics uh, that we've received comments from the public and from HCD on. And largely these comments do revolve around or have some connection to affirmatively furthering fair housing. The first key topic is lower income sites in higher resource areas. Part of the fair housing, next slide, please. Part of the Fair Housing Assessment's goal is to look at the way low-income sites are distributed throughout the city with regard to resources. Uh, you can see here on this slide, uh, there's a map of the city uh, showing what are called resource areas uh, that are developed by HCD and the Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, uh, which publish publishes these maps on an annual basis. They show higher resource areas in the darkest blue, uh, higher, I'm um, sorry, highest resources area, resource areas in the darkest blue, high resource areas in the second to darkest blue, uh, moderate resource in the aqua green color and low resource in that uh, gray green color. Um, the fair housing assessment shows that the city's sites inventory concentrates quite a few housing sites, a majority of housing sites, uh, specifically those high density sites in the Moffat Park specific plan. Um, Moffat Park specific plan, as you can see on the map towards the north, uh, is in a low resource area. This is, however, a very large census tract. The uh, Moffat Park census tract includes um, areas of San Jose, areas of the Bay, and it contains no Sunnyvale residents. The tract extends into the Alviso neighborhood of San Jose, so most of the demographics, uh, most of what you're seeing reflected in the low resource categorization is due to the demographics of the Alviso neighborhood. So the city has challenged this classification and included quite a bit of narrative uh, as well as more specific program languages on uh, capital improvements and improvements of resources in the Moffat Park specific plan area. 
related to this is also that the site's inventory does not include as many lower income sites in higher resource areas in Southern Sunnyvale, uh, which is largely built out with single family homes. Next slide, please. So HCD and the public have commented on this topic. HCD brought it up in their first letter, uh, first comment letter in October, 2022, and asked staff to address isolation of lower income Rena in Northern Sunnyvale and a lack of lower income sites in Southern Sunnyvale. They also asked staff to address public comments on housing in high resource areas, especially the Southern village centers. And these public comments asked the city to increase village center density to greater than 30 dwelling units per acre. And this 30 dwelling units per acre is sort of the magic number when it comes to HCD. Uh, 30 dwelling units per acre is the default density for lower income housing. So any site that is zoned for 30 dwelling units per acre or more can be considered suitable for lower income housing. Next slide, please. Staff considered these comments and based on feedback from the public, from HCD and from city council, we modified program H3 to increase affordable housing in high resource areas. We increased the village center density or we will increase the village center density to greater than 30 dwelling units per acre. We will look at additional Southern Sunnyvale sites for high density re residential. We in increased the goal of program H3 which originally was 100 lower income units and higher in resource areas to 750 lower income units and higher resource areas. We plan to complete this rezone by December, 2026. Um, in addition to this, we also reduced the reliance on Moffat Park specific plan for lower income sites. Originally we had considered 60% of units in the Moffat Park specific plan to be lower income. Now we consider 50% of those units to be lower income. We also included more specific commitments in program H39 to capital improvements in lower resource areas, including the establishing new locations for library and parks in low resource areas. Next slide, please. The next key topic is missing middle housing and missing middle housing is defined for the purposes of the housing element as affordable by design housing types. So these are duos or duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, uh, single family units on smaller lot sizes. And these housing types are intended to be affordable by design and may promote housing opportunity in higher resource areas. Next slide, please. HCD in their first comment letter said that we should establish development standards for missing middle housing types. And this is intended to encourage missing middle housing in higher opportunity areas. Again, this is along the same lines of uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing, creating new housing opportunities in high resource areas. Next slide, please. So in response to this HCD comment, the city added a program for missing middle. We didn't have a program for missing middle before this. So we added program H21, which established small lot subdivisions, small lot subdivisions in zoning districts such as R1.5 and R1.7. And you can see here on the slide, there's a, a diagram of what this could look like of taking two lots and splitting them so that there could be a cottage court or fourplex development on this. Um, this would also establish smaller lot sizes and modified setbacks and expedited review for missing middle type projects and ministerial approval for certain products that do not require lot splits. 
and city, uh, the city will complete this program by 2025. Next slide, please. And uh, the final key topic for tonight is the park dedication requirement. Um, when certain types of new res residential projects are built, they are required to dedicate a certain amount of land as parks or pay an in-lieu fee uh, that would be used to purchase new parkland or for capital improvements to existing parks. Uh, this applies to net new units and would apply to multifamily residential projects uh, or subdivisions. There are existing exclusions to this requirement uh, that apply to affordable rental housing units and also to ADUs, junior ADUs, duplexes, and single family houses on existing lots. Next slide, please. Uh, the city received comments from HCD as well as the public. Uh, we received uh, comments from HCD in both comment letters, and, and both of those comments were uh, achieving different goals. Uh, the, the first comment from the October 22, 2022 comment letter asked the city to analyze park dedication requirements and address public comments on park in lieu fees for lot splits. And this was uh, very specific about considering public comments for lot splits in particular. It also asked the city to include more specific commitments in the fee program. The second comment letter from July, 2023, asked the city to analyze park dedication requirements impacts on multifamily housing types. This was not something that was mentioned in the original um, HCD letter. Next slide, please. Staff rep responded to both of these comments um, with a modification to program H19 which is the city's program for park dedication fees. Uh, and we committed to a reduction in park dedication in lieu fees for dual urban opportunity or duo lot splits, uh, and also for missing middle housing types. Uh, we committed in the housing element to fees of no greater than 60,000 per unit for those missing middle housing types. We also made commitments to reduce fees for special needs units, such as SRO, single room occupancy units, or senior units. Our commitment there is that fees would be no greater than $35,000 per unit. Although I will say that most of these units, SROs and senior units are developed as part of an affordable housing project and would not be subject to the requirement. Um, we also committed to a reduction for multifamily units with an average of 30% reduction to fees, uh, park dedication fees. HCD has responded positively to these changes. Uh, this has been one of the huge sticking points in the housing element, and we're finally at a place where we're comfortable and receive very positive feedback from HCD. And we'll be completing this program by 2024. Next slide, please. So those changes were included in the latest draft of the housing element, the second revised HCD draft. Um, Staff had a call with HCD, an informal call on November 16th uh, to discuss the latest draft of the housing element. And this call went very well. Again, we received a lot of positive feedback on the changes included in the um, second revised draft. And HCD staff only suggested some minor revisions, uh, which you can see here. Uh, they asked that staff commit to an annual monitoring and mid-cycle review for usable open space requirements and the park dedication requirement. Uh, so we'll be monitoring those on an annual basis along with our housing production and at the midway point in the cycle review uh, in 
determine if they have been a constraint on housing development. Um, HED staff also asks uh, staff to ensure that the maximum allowable densities are feasible in our missing middle program. So we've added some language in the, the errata to explain this. And then finally, uh, as part of the zoning code modifications program, uh, HCD asked staff to commit to parking requirements for studio units across the city not to exceed one space per unit. So we've added this in as well. And this was published on November 17th, right after our call with HCD. Uh, we then sent that to HCD uh, as part of our formal submission uh, last Friday. And we expect to receive HCD conditional approval uh, by December 11th. December 11th marks the 60-day review point uh, when we submitted the last housing element. So we expect to receive that formal letter by that date, just in time for the December 12th city council meeting. And next slide, please. So with that, we're in a very positive place with our housing element. Um, based on our conversations with HCD, uh, we expect to receive that conditional certification uh, so I will uh, just go over briefly our housing capacity. Since we've uh, essentially finalized the housing element, uh, we can finalize our site's inventory at this stage. Um, you can see here on the slide where our different, uh, where our housing element is allocating units based on plan area. Um, we're showing that about 11% of the total capacity will, will be contained in approved projects. Uh, so this are, these are projects that have already been approved or are under construction. About 10% of projects will be in the Lawrence Station area plan. 1% uh, of projects in the downtown specific plan, but this is a little misleading because a lot of those projects are under construction right now and included in the approved project section. 12% uh, of projects, um, or sites I should say, are in the El Camino Real specific plan. 56% of sites are in the Moffat Park specific plan. 5% uh, are in village centers, but this is expected to increase with the rezoning of the village centers to 30 dwelling units. We also have 4% of sites uh, in additional loot or land use and transportation element areas, and 2% of sites uh, or 2% of units will be ADUs. Uh, so this brings our total capacity to over 17,000 units. Uh, giving us a buffer of over 5,000 units. And just to put that into perspective, our buffer is nearly our entire arena for the previous cycle. Uh, so this gives us a substantial buffer of about 43% uh, over the, uh, the assigned arena and a low income buffer of 62%. So we're confident with these numbers uh, and being able to meet our arena and, and maintain uh, no, no net loss provisions. Next slide, please. I also wanted to give a peek at uh, the site's inventory as it's displayed on that resource map. Uh, so here you can see we have 29% of all sites in high or highest resource areas. A lot of those will be in the El Camino Real specific plan uh, and village centers. 13% of sites are in moderate resource areas and the teal colored areas. And 58% of sites are in low resource areas. Um, and these sites are in Moffat Park specific plan or Lawrence Station area plan. And these are transformative plans that will add many new housing units 
increase capital improvements and resources for the new residents and many existing residents in surrounding areas. And the demographic change based on those new units will almost certainly change uh, those census tracts and their resource uh, scores that HCD assigns. I will note that these maps are updated annually. This map has already changed. Uh, there are areas of Lawrence Station area plan that are now considered high resource that were considered moderate resource before. Uh, so this is something that is constantly being revised by HCD based on new demographic, new, new demographic data. Next slide, please. And with that, I'll go into our CEQA envir environmental review process. So for this update, we completed an initial study negative declaration, which was released for public comment on October 20th. Since there is no direct rezoning as a part of the housing element update, we could use the environmental impact reports from previous plans. Uh, so no unmitigated impacts were found that have not already been addressed in prior EIRs, including the loot and specific plans like Moffat Park and Lord Stationary Plan. The comment period for the neck deck was October 20th to November 20th, and no comments were received. Next slide, please. And so our next steps uh, will continue the adoption hearings. On Wednesday, we have Housing and Human Services Commission, and on December 12th, we have City Council. Next slide, please. And so our recommendation for tonight is alternative one, to recommend that city council make the findings and adopt the resolution in attachment two to the report, to adopt the negative declaration in attachment three to the report, and amend the general plan by adopting the 2023-2031 housing element as included as exhibit A. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and we have a few commissioner questions. First up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, Thank you, Chair, and I especially want to thank, uh, uh, well, Ryan for the presentation and and the entire staff for the uh, unbelievable amount of hours that have gone into this uh, thing. I feel like I've been looking at it for five years and I, and uh, nowhere near what you uh, have, have all gone through. Uh, I just have a question uh, before we get into more detailed discussion, but uh, so you're expecting uh, HCD to approve this on December 11th. Suppose we look at this and say, well, on page 520, the second paragraph, we want to change something. We think it should be stronger or or more detailed or whatever. What does that do to the timeline? Does it then have to go back to HCD and then they go through another cycle or something? With this draft, we have... Uh, we expect to receive conditional certification uh, and the changes that you see in the errata would incorporate, uh, be incorporated into the draft. Um, could always suggest changes, uh, but at this stage, we do expect HCD conditional certification and any other changes uh, would need to be considered by HCD. Right. So if, if I could just also interject, um, Honey Commissioner Cerrone, the... Um, the Planning Commission, Housing Human Service Commission, City Council, you, you need to give your recommendation. So if you do think there are changes that are, are needed, you should let us know. Um, and it would depend on what kind of change, you know, changing one word, changing a program. I mean, the, there's different levels of, 
of 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 degree um, or and or you could recommend adoption and to return later with an amendment. So those are kind of the range of options that the planning commission has. Okay, that's all I have for now. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Davis. Yeah, once again, thank you for the presentation. Uh, thank you for all of staff's diligence on this. We've been talking about this for a really long time. Um, I have a few technical questions, some about the city, some about the state. Um, so at several points with the errata, we have these programs listed, H19, H21, and, and so on. Um, changing those, does that require a, a new ordinance? Does it require city council vote or is that at staff's discretion? How does that work? The errata, and Chelsea Payne may correct me if I'm wrong here, the errata changes the most recent draft of the housing element. So those changes that were included in the errata become, are incorporated into the, the most recent draft of the housing element. Okay, so uh, so they're part of the housing element, and then we have to come along with enabling legislation later. Is that correct for some of these? For some of the programs, yes, such as the the, the village center program, yes, at H twenty one, and a question specifically about that, but we'll get there. For example, for the uh, village center housing uh, yeah. opportunities and, and high resource areas program uh, that would be handled as a part of the village centers master plan process separately okay. from the housing element. Okay. Um, I, I think the general answer is that all of the programs are essentially the a work plan for the planning and housing staff primarily um, over the next um, six years. Most of the programs are, um, slated to be completed within the six year time frame. Yes. Okay. And so to be adopted, they'll have to go through the normal. Everything that requires an ordinance would have okay, to come right. to planning commission and council. Um, anything that requires a change in policy, we would take either to planning commission or housing and human services commission. Depends on the nature of the program, of course. Okay. Um, see, I had a question about Moffat park and low resource, but you already answered that. Um, the, so the first three RENA categories, the low income, very low income, and uh, below moderate, how do we actually measure if we're meeting those? Does that is that the production of deed-restricted units, or I'm just, I don't know how that's measured. In general, in the past, the city has measured deed-restricted units. Okay. Um, we can, and with this upcoming cycle, we'll be looking at uh, rents for housing developments, and we can categorize those based on the rental categories. Uh, so there may be some that qualify that, you know, we normally would have counted as uh, above moderate income that could qualify for a moderate income or uh, potentially low income. Oh, thank you. Just that's, not as deed restricted. That's very reassuring. So if we did like what's happened in Oakland, where we actually produced enough units and it impacted rents, then essentially we get credit under, if if we choose to measure that way, we have enough discretion that we could measure those changes and get RENA credit per se. That's correct. Um, that's that's a breath of fresh air. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, can you remind us when, um, uh, basically how late are we? 
what, what was the first date for approval? So when did we enter the builder's element, essentially? Uh, the the deadline was January 31st, 2023. Okay. So several uh, months. And then um, on RENA requirements for the last cycle, um, I understand we met our total units, but in terms of inc income classifications, we did not. That's correct. Um, yeah, I have it up here. We we were issuing uh, 230 units for very low, 160 units for low. Yeah. Um, but again, we were just counting deed restricted units. Okay. Okay. Um, and then as part of the overall housing element process, I, I understand there's a like a, a mid-cycle accountability check-in that the state does. Um, if I'm making this up, please tell me. But my understanding is that if we're not on, if it doesn't look like we're going to come close to meeting uh, the RENA requirements, then there are actions that can be taken by the state in in a mid-cycle review. Is that correct? Uh, Chelsea Payne, could you answer that, please? Yes. Hi, good evening. This is Chelsea Payne with Ascent. Good evening, commissioners. Um, HCD will be monitoring the city's implementation of the housing element, mostly by um, monitoring the annual progress reports that you use, that the city submits. Um, in terms of your arena production, there, there are no real penalties for not meeting the arena. The only, um, the only, I guess you could say, penalty tied to arena production is um, SB 35 and whether that applies to the city. But otherwise, there wouldn't be any revoking of your compliance um, just because your housing production fell short of the arena. There are a lot of factors that um, go into play in how much housing actually gets built. So as you heard from Ryan, um, the city, like most cities, fell short of the arena in the lower income categories in the last cycle. It's very common, um, but that didn't result in any penalties or revoking of compliance. Thank you. Um, and then I have the most specific one at the end. Um, so program H21, this is the missing middle. Uh, and just going on what was on the slide. So if you take an R0, um, I actually live in R0. Yeah, it's it's R0. So that's a 6,000 square foot uh, minimum lot size for single family homes. You, you do an equal split, that's 3,000 square foot. But we have a FAR of 45%, and that's 1,350 square feet. Uh, nobody's going to build a duplex with 1,350 square feet. Uh, that's is just a non-starter. So, uh, so I recommend that we do something with the FAR there. Um, I actually recommend removing it, but uh, that's my own view. Let me just comment that the whole missing middle program requires more thought than to just say how many units. Um, so there would be all new standards associated with that type of development. Okay, so we'll hear a lot more about this. Though. You'll have another chance. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, great presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. So well, I want to say it's outstanding research and outstanding way it's been um, 
documented. Um, I I think I'm kind of um, amazed with so much so much information has in in the report. I have a question about SROs, special needs units. I mean, are these the units which we see them in the uh, upcoming proposals, and what are they? So uh, SROs are single room occupancy units. Oh, and, single room occupancy, because I yeah. was like trying to. They're categorized as a special needs unit. Um, so it's a it's a studio type of unit that doesn't include um, specifically uh, kitchen facilities or potentially a bathroom. Um, we have two developments in Sunnyvale, but I don't think we've received any proposals for SROs uh, recently. Hotels, do hotels count into that? Like those boutique hotels? We actually have two kinds of um, SROs in our zoning code. And one is a um, single room occupancy facility. The other is a single room <clears throat> occupancy hotel. And with the hotel version, they um, their cooking facilities are shared. Um, I think in Sunnyvale, I, I'll double check that, the, the uh, bathroom needs to provide in each unit. Um, but in some communities, the, there, there's a different definition. The other important factor is that there needs to be a program to assist the residents in an SRO. Um, because I, I mean, can you, can you, can someone with single family home and convert their house into like five or six SROs kind of thing? No. I mean, will, will, it, no. Will, no. Okay. I was just That's curious. an easy one to answer. Because if you are like, okay, thanks. That Thank you. And I had several questions, but I'm actually going to start out by thanking staff in particular for that presentation. I had actually submitted a question in advance via email about, about what changes had been made based on planning commission feedback, because that was, that was a part of the motion and both commissioner, both former commissioner Weiss and myself had made, had, had expressed a sentiment that the language that it would include revisions based on planning commission feedback was a reason we were voting for it. So I would just very much, I very much appreciated the response to that. Like I, I very much appreciate hearing how, how the, how the uh, draft housing element had been modified based on our feedback. So for, thank you for including it. And thank you for the presentation as a whole. It was, it was very useful. Uh, so going back to the timeline, uh, First of all, Commissioner Davis mentioned mentioned the when the penalties started kicking in effectively. Can staff confirm that as of today there have not been any builders remedy projects uh, requested in the city of Sunnyvale? We have received. We can't. I can't confirm that because we have received an application for builders remedy. Uh, could staff tell us so where this is? Um, it's in an industrial area. We, it, it just came in, so I yes. really I don't have a lot to share. Okay, with the uh, commission. is it? I I have some follow up questions, but I think it will be best to do those at a future point in time. Uh, I'm I'm not sure it's germane to the housing element adoption, um, and we can provide the commission 
when I say we, I mean Sean, of course, can provide the commission with more information about okay. rem builders' remedy I'm, later. I'm, and I'm sure staff has heard this from me before, but my biggest concern has basically been builders' remedy projects. There have been a number of things I have been worried about that I have seen in other cities regarding builders' remedy. Some of which involve the loss, the loss of what what we have planned for to be protected retail spaces. The other has actually been what I have, what I saw in San Jose recently, which was where they had an air where they had area that was zoned for like for several, for a few thousand units and being builders remedy down to like nine, 800. And I would be frankly horrified to see us being effectively down zoned by the builders remedy. Uh, the, there are qu quite a, wide variety of applications of the builder's remedy and every every city is experiencing something slightly different. Yep. Okay. I I will I will be and in, I'm interested in this, but I don't but I agree that that's I don't want to go into more details. I don't think this is the right point place to get into more details. Uh my second question uh second question uh the village centers uh We've discussed this. Uh, we've. I'm. I and mean, I'm. I'm fully supportive of the of pro of this of the program increasing density to thirty, et cetera. My question and doing this through the village center master plan process. I'm. I'm fully supportive of this direction. My question is: Are based on the conversations that I know you've had with people that are interested in redeveloping the village centers, do we expect that? future village center development will essentially wait for or take advantage of this increase in density because my because just the way the village centers some of the village centers have been developed have have been developed in the past one of my big worries about the village centers is opportunity cost like if we get an application that's deemed final now it they could develop at the lower density and we'd miss out on on the ability to develop to have somebody develop it at higher density. I guess. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to say um, if somebody would come back and take an opportunity for a higher density if something was rezoned, um, depending on how far along they are in the process. Yeah, and I I I know I I know I'm kind of asking staff to kind of speculate on what private actors are doing which is not which is not within staff's control but like my biggest kind of concern with all of the village center revisions that we're doing is that I worry to a little bit that we're closing the barn door after not all of the horses have left but at least a decent part of the pack has left and I would just I just hope that most of the horses are still in the barn we hope so too <laughs> uh so going back to the timeline, uh, my, so, okay. So I, and I don't really think anybody was expecting to get approval on the first draft that was submitted at the end of last year. That didn't happen that I don't want to say it didn't happen for any city because I think there were a couple cities that got theirs approved first time, but the overwhelming majority of but given the stricter process, given everyone adjusting to it, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to get approved first time through. I don't I don't think 
I don't I don't think that would have been a fair expectation. Uh, but uh, I know there was a lot more confidence in the draft that was submitted in May eroded in July. And I'm from a process perspective, I'm just kind of curious kind of what went wrong there, because I did think there was a fair because there, based on based on the council study session, based on a lot based on comments based on what was said there i was under the expectate the at least i was fairly optimistic that that one stood a good chance of approval and i'm just kind of curious what happened there yeah i think staff felt the same way uh, we put a lot of work into that uh, that's the may 2023 revised hcd draft uh, we put a lot of work into that. We went to council for uh, some feedback on those key topics. And I think we were most of the way there for two of the two out of those three topics. HCD was satisfied with our response. Uh, it was really only park dedication fees that they uh, issued an additional finding for that was based off of some letters, uh, public comment letters that were received after our May draft was published. In addition to that, I would also say that we provided a lot of analysis um, about um, housing production, and it just wasn't, HCD just didn't receive it in the same way that uh, they did for the following draft. I think we learned some lessons from that draft, and with the uh, draft that went out in October, we were prepared. We knew what they were looking for. We had some clear feedback uh, from our uh, reviewer and the HCD review team. We were able to get much more clear direction on where to go, and they were receptive to what we provided them on an informal call. So, I think that made all the difference there. Okay, that's actually very helpful. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the process, frankly, that I'll be saving for after public comment. And I know I'm sounding pretty critical critical right now. And frankly, my biggest criticisms here are not of staff; they are of other people that I will get that I will get to later. But uh, I, but I, I do appreciate the clarity on that. I. I think there are rooms. I think there is room for process improvement, both locally and at the state level. I, again, I'll be commenting on that later. Uh, uh, the other question I had, and I, this is probably a happier question. Uh, uh, for, uh, since all of these have to be implemented via ordinance, via policy changes, via whatever, uh, could we go like a step? Further and to, to note, and this is kind of getting up something Commissioner Davis said, but I I would also note that if you want to see what happens when you don't get these programs implemented in time, this is the extreme example because they got a specific state law targeting them. But look at but you can look at San Francisco for what happens if a you don't implement your programs and b you make enough headlines that you get Sacramento really really ticked off at you. So. I trust we are not going to uh, implement the pathologies of San Francisco politics. Uh, but uh, uh, but when we're at the implementation stage, uh, could could we go beyond kind of beyond what we're saying here at the ordinance stage, without having to like revise the housing element, revise go through that kind of stage? So like like for a specific example, and I'm not saying I. I'm not saying I'm proposing this. I'm just throwing this out there as an example. In the errata, there was a in the latest errata, there was a rep, there was a program for 
have for requiring uh, like one parking space for you for studio and efficiency units. So like what ha if we get when we get that ordinance, like let's say we wanted to recommend that it be like half a parking space per unit or something or something like that. Would that be the kind of thing we could do at that time? Yes, uh, at that time, you could make that recommendation. I think that we've committed to, on many of these programs, uh, a minimum of what HCD expects. Uh, so our commissions can make that recommendation when those programs are being implemented. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll just say now that, and I'll just say now before the public hearing that it is my, and I am, and I'll, I'll listen to any arguments on this, but uh, my personal inclination is that we have something that looks like it works. There are definitely thing, ways in which I think it could go further, but I don't think this is the time to be trying to rewrite it. I think the best, I think the time to push for time that at least I would be more inclined to push for other changes would be when we actually get into the implement, implementation detail. I'm at this, the penalties for not having a compliant housing element by by essentially when we're going to be adopting it are extremely severe and I really, really do not want to risk that. With that, I will go ahead and open the public hearing on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, use the raise hand feature now, or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call upon members participating in person first, and the reporting officer will ask remote participants to unmute when it is their turn to address the planning commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak, and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have no in-person speaker cards. Is anyone else interested in speaking on this agenda item before we hear from remote speakers? Seeing none. Uh, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? We do not chair. Okay. Seeing no hands going up, I will go ahead and close the public hearing. And uh, I will now ask for discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Uh, Commissioner Howe. Yeah, I'll make my comments after, but I'd like to make a motion to staff's recommendation, alternative number one, to remit, excuse me, remit, recommend to the city council the, the findings and adopt the resolution and attachment two to a adopt the negative declaration in attachment three amend the general plan by adopting the 2023 to 2031 housing element as included in exhibit a. Thank you, Commissioner Davis. I'll go ahead and second it. Thank you, Commissioner. How to your motion? Thank you. Trudy, we've been through a number of these over the years, and I guess one of my um, um, observations is that the state was a lot harder on the city in this round than they were before. And I would say that the staff has rallied for that and have come up to where that's almost certain it's going to be approved here by the city council and the state. Good job. Nice reaction to it. Nice job of responding to the questions and have a plan of how it will be implemented and in what stages and what time frame. Congratulations. Thank you. 
Thank you. Commissioner Davis, to your second. Yeah, I'll echo what Commissioner Howe uh, was saying. My understanding is that uh, what's been going on with housing elements in HCD could best be described as discretionary review. Um, that, that seems to be wildly different standards uh, depending on when you when you have your plan before them and who's looking at them. Uh, it's ironic because probably one of the biggest impediments to housing development in this state is discretionary review. But, you know, the world loves irony. Uh, yeah, I, I have to commend staff. Um, you've stayed professional throughout. I know it's been a ton of work. Um, I saw Ryan the first time when I was with Louisville Sunnyvale. Uh, I think we gave you a hard time the first time. And uh, uh, you guys have stuck with it, um, stayed non-confrontational with, with HCD. And uh, I know we're going to have uh, a lot of work. Uh, these are fairly big numbers. Um, they come at us a couple of hundred at a time, and we've got to get to like 12,000, right? And uh, there's a lot of enabling uh, legislation that has to be passed, that has to be commented on. Um, I think in some cases, crafting it is going to take some time, getting it so that uh, um, it's not a constraint right um where details matter uh but thank you um for following through on this and i seconded the motion so obviously i'll be supporting it thank you next up is commissioner Cerrone. uh thanks chair so um of course uh california as we know california needs more housing and sunnyvale needs more housing based on the population growth and most importantly the jobs growth over uh, many years cities have not been able or willing to meet their housing needs and that's why we're here doing this but the um, city uh, does not build housing the city can get out of the way of developers or incentivize residential or other types of development um, so and many programs are proposed to help address the housing shortage we need to do everything we can to address this housing crisis. But uh, my opinion is the last couple of rounds or especially, um, well, for, from HCD, I feel like the HCD is asking the city to commit to or predict events that they have no um, control over. And uh, uh, I think the park in Luffy's are an exception, uh, but uh the current high interest rates, uh, I think, will impact new development more than uh, everything in the entire housing element. Um, and uh, it's worth pointing out the number of things have been accomplished uh, in this draft, which pulls in the specific plans, Moffat Park specific plan, the El Camino Real specific plan, uh, changes to the uh, uh, Lawrence uh, specific area plan, and and so on. So. Um, and the 20,000 housing units over a period of years proposed in Moffat Park, it's been a big, it's been a big deal. Um, specifically talking about affirmatively furthering fair housing, AFFH, um, this is obviously an important goal. Uh, we do not want to increase uh, to create any uh, kind of low-income ghettos and we all benefit if we have a diversity of demographic 
uh, residents in all parts of the city. It's well documented that decades of systemic racism have driven public policy and private investment. So, but having said that, I think some of the methodology used is flawed and it's already been pointed out by staff. Uh, opportunity is largely defined by income and to some extent amenities in a neighborhood. It's a good measure if you just have one metric or it's a crude measure, but it doesn't work as well described in the, uh, in the document, for example, Moffa Park, where the average income for residents in Moffa Park is zero because there are no residents there. So it's considered a very low opportunity area but that's a ridiculous uh, statistical anomaly right now. And we know there are plans to add housing and amenities. So, and in general, I don't think we should say that low-income areas are irretrievably low opportunity and just give, give up on them. Our objective should be to add schools, a retail and a mix of housing types to increase the opportunity in these areas instead of just walking away from them. And and there is a program to address this. Uh, the uh, what's eight eight thirty nine? I'm not sure why it's only medium priority, but uh, it's prioritized for uh, capital improvements, neighborhood improvements, uh, adding uh, walking and biking infrastructure, transit service, parks, trails, streetscape, community amenities, and so on. So and specifically calls out North Sunnyvale. Uh, adding a new library, additional park facilities, and so on. So uh, I think a much better approach is to try and in increase the uh, livability of these uh, low-opportunity areas rather than try and just get everybody out of there. Um, uh, and as has been pointed out, part of that big North Sunnyvale census tract includes parts of San Jose, Alviso, and so on. So, you know, and we're kind of chasing a, uh, a uh, uh, statistical uh, uh, artifacts of the census process and not anything that's real that we can address. Um, regarding South Sunnyvale, this is largely built out with single family homes or townhouses uh, that have become expensive over the years. Generally, each lot is a different owner makes it very difficult and expensive to replace these homes with higher density, uh, more affordable units, unless you just wholesale tear uh, blocks down. An exception is the village centers and raising the density of these centers to 30 uh, dwelling units per acre is a good step in expanding the village centers, for example, to include Lomans Plaza and other areas, also an important step. But in a lot of ways, we get a better bang for our bucks by converting obsolete commercial office buildings to multi-unit housing. In these cases, and we saw this, really have seen this in Moffat Park, but other areas, um, there's a large area, maybe a city block or more, with one owner, an outdated building that can be economically converted, especially nowadays, converted to uh, residential. And I don't think we should walk away from housing in any part of the city. We need all housing we can get. Um, and also, if, uh, looking at these maps, there were there was a, a lot of maps in there, very good information. 
uh, in the report in the element. And if you uh, take Sunnyvale south of El Camino or south of the tracks, however, uh, and the the opportunity zones, it looks it, it looks like it's kind of a averaging a big area. So it looks like generally you have a a more uh, a bigger you know a better opportunity area um, than than the north. But when you look at the more detailed breakdown, it, it isn't as monolithic as that. There are you know different different uh, economic and uh, uh, demographic uh, characteristics within even uh, north or south, and for that matter, the whole city is is you know what moderate opportunity or high opportunity or very high it isn't it isn't that cut and dry um again as a practical matter if there are inequities in north sunnyvale which there are our goal should be to fix those inequities not to move everybody out um so the park in luffy's it looks like uh staff was able to address uh that with with a number of excellent uh changes uh that will encourage uh, or at least not disincentivize certain types of uh housing be because of that we seem to like parks uh better than a lot of uh, our neighboring communities and uh part of that could be sort of a historical uh for whatever reason in recent years or not so recent now um some parts of the population even elected officials have had the idea that uh, the city was trying to sell off all the parks to developers or something like that and uh, i think that may have generated a bias within the uh, uh sort of the uh, city culture to um, maybe more strongly support even more strongly support the parks than we already uh, uh, than we already do. Everybody loves parks. Um, so, uh, just to kind of sum up uh, in engineering, uh, we have an expression that uh, sooner or later you need to uh, shoot the engineer and ship the product. And I think the time has come with this uh, uh, particular effort. Time to start on the next housing element. I think. Uh, only got eight years um the longer this is delayed the more risk from as uh chair pine was saying the more risk we have from the builder's remedy and as he pointed out it, it is now being used uh partly i think because of the high interest rates it's being used to downsize projects not just to uh uh, uh upsize them and uh you know the the problem with that is we'll build a remedy is developers can do whatever they want and it may or may not be good for anybody uh so and i feel like at this point anyone who uh, wants to comment on this uh has had dozens or more opportunities to do so so uh, i will uh, support the motion to approve this uh uh, as it is and uh, recommend that to the uh, council. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. Um, so I volunteered for the Planning Commission because we need more housing regionally and in the city of Sunnyvale. 
there's always room for improvement, but we've made good progress. Uh, I really appreciate this housing element. I skimmed it front to back. Um, there was so much great material in there. It's very educational. Uh, for example, I'm looking forward to the prospects that we can probably get housing in the parking lots at Lucky's and at Zanato's because we've got that, you know, it's it's very clearly set out, just as, for example. Um, supporting this motion, which I will be supporting this motion, I can make the findings for the negative sequel declaration. But I contrast this to when I first joined the Planning Commission, we had to do the, the land use and transportation element. And there was a great deal of consternation at that time over some of the details of that um, element. My support was only reluctant as a new planning commissioner who didn't really know what was going on. As somebody who's been around for six years and looking at this document and seeing the level of work and detail that has gone into it, I, I have no reservations about supporting the housing element. I think it's great. And I really appreciate that you guys are moving the ball forward. Um, just the, the scope of ambition of how many units we can bring into this city, how many families will be served by this work. We're not building the housing, but we're we're setting it up to make it happen. So I, I really, really appreciate uh, what's going on here. Um, yeah, uh, a last note, uh, the huge box of paper uh, motivated me to figure out how to how to work on these documents on my, on the iPad. So thanks for that additional nudge. And it's my ambition to, to take the 800 or so pages of um, the other side of the page can be put into the printer and used probably for the next several years. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Yes, that's, that's funny. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for um, all the comments. Um, everybody made and um, I'll be supporting the motion and um, hoping that um, uh, Sunny will we follow up and uh, satisfy have the good collaboration with uh, uh, with the state to to fulfill all the requirements and um, Sunnyvale will be a different city uh, but it has to evolve and um, I can imagine that if we continue with all these 45 programs and all the expected um, Rena needs, um, it will be a evolved city and hopefully city, st city staff still will make sure that it stays vibrant. And, um, you know, I mean, that's what I'm just looking forward uh, for this thing to move on and we continue following this. So hopefully council will uh, follow up with that and with that I will be supporting the motion thank you thank you and I'll be supporting the motion tonight but uh, I want to go back and actually go back to the May 23rd meeting and like I said I appreciated staff's inclusion of the of commissioner feedback I that being said I do, in hindsight, regret that we did not provide some more specific, a more specific recommendation to council. And this is not this is not on staff. This is not meant as a criticism of staff. But when I watched that council meeting, there were some comments made at that council meeting that suggested that that suggested a certain lack of urgency regarding the housing element. And I don't want to 
get too specific, but I felt that, like, like I said earlier, we, uh, I did not anticipate that our initial submittal was going to get approved by HCD because barely anybody did. Barely anybody got that. I do think we could have, but knowing that HCD was going to be a lot stricter this cycle, I do think it would have been possible. To, I do think we should have, I think we could have gone further in getting a, in submitting a first draft housing element that while, sure, there was, there was probably going to be an extra round, but could have been a lot closer to having to being accepted than the one we submitted actually was. And I think that, I think if we had done that, I think we would have been in a better step to get, to get the next draft that got submitted this summer approved. I, I think it is a learn. I think it is a learning experience assuming, well, I mean, let's face it. We don't know what state laws are going to look like in 2031. Sacramento changes housing laws every year, but I do think it's a learning experience. And I think for the next cycle there, we will all, we will all have both, both, we will all have a lot of notes on to hopefully be more expeditious about this. Uh, the having said that, uh, my, having said that, I'm also frustrated from the state side that there is, as Commissioner Davis said, that there isn't clearer guidance on that there wasn't clearer guidance on what was needed. While I do think there was a certain level of under, well, I do think we it we should have expected a fairly strict analysis of our housing element stricter than previous cycles. I, I'm like one thing that actually encapsulated the entire, well, there's two things that kind of encapsulated the issues I see from the state side. Uh, first of all, when we got the re when we got the second feedback letter, there were a couple issues raised and I'm actually, and I'm not even really thinking of the, of the park fees. I, I honestly, the park fees is something I wish we had given clearer direction on as a planning commission. I, when I watched the first study session, I, when I watched the council study session, I felt that there was some underestimation of the degree that there was, that there was state level concern about the park fees. I, I believe staff acted correctly given the guidance they got from council that night, but I would have, as a commission, I thought we should have given a recommendation that was in disagreement with the council that what staff that the council consensus that night. Uh, there was, but I'm not even going to. But the but on the in the second letter there was there was some specific comments on El Camino Real, and that was not in the first letter we got. That was that showed I I can't. I can't speak to anything that was brought up informally, but that formally popped up for the first time in that second letter. And when I saw that, I was just like, what? Because that, because that should not, because the extent that was an issue, and I am very glad staff worked with HCD to allay their concerns about that issue, because frankly, I and I said this in my personal capacity at the second study at the council study session, but I would have I really did not 
want to further compromise on commercial on commercial and retail requirements and eight on El Camino. We do have a going like current state law AB 2011 actually says you're allowed to have so much of a retail carve out and for along those cities. And it would be very, in my opinion, extremely odd if H if HD was trying to argue that we couldn't exercise our rights under AB 2011. Uh, but so I am very glad that, for, that staff pushed back on that because it needed a pushback. Uh, but that kind of thing shouldn't be coming up this late in the process. Those, if it's if it wasn't in the first if it was like if it wasn't in the first feedback letter and it's not a response to changes made in the and if it's not a responses made to changes in the first and second then it feels like HCD is just coming up with new reasons which I don't know I don't that that should it should not that should not be happening and HCD should not be overly reliant generally on listening to on listening to community groups some of which frankly are not even in Sunnyvale like you see this in cities that that abuse the discretionary housing process they're over a lot of times they're overly reliant on third-party interest groups that were not elected do not necessarily have a mandate from the people and instead they sh and instead they should be listening to the and instead they should be reliant on people that were actually elected and actually have the support of the voters, uh, which Sunnyvale City Council members are, state legislators are, but, met, and, but many of our excellent advocacy, advocacy groups, frankly, are not. And this really came to a head for me at that second study session when we were talking about reducing the park fees. And again, I'm on board with what's in, with what's in this housing element. I think 30% is, is a very reasonable number. Our park fees were are frankly excessively high in, in relation to the rest of the region. And and the other thing is I'll note that Mountain View in their approved housing element had did have to accept a significant reduction in their park fees. And I've talked to some people in Mountain View and they're actually coming up with some creative ways to, to offset those reductions to, fund, to come up with other ways of funding their parks. The solutions that they're working on wouldn't quite work in Sunnyvale just due to different just due to different funding mechanisms and different ways the cities are set up. But I am confident, I'm confident in staff. I am confident in I am confident in city council that we can find a way to make sure our parks remain excellent if and find that and find a way for that money to find a way to make sure they're funded, even if we are getting a reduction in the park in Luffy. But what bothered me at the at the study session is you then had advice, you then had some outside advocacy groups calling in and demanding a 50% reduction, which frankly would be a much, much, would frankly would be a fairly a significant blow over and beyond 30, like the additional 20% would be a significant problem for the, for parks. And the other problem is I don't know where that number is coming from. Like I'm not seeing, like, like I could see if you're saying your park in Luffy should be in line with I know Palo Alto, Los Altos, Cupertino, Santa Clara, any number of other cities. I could understand that argument, but when you're saying 50%, that just to me, that feels like you're just saying, okay, cut half. And we pulled that. And it felt it felt to me that that number was being pulled out of thin air. And it's not a good feeling when it feels like numbers are getting pulled out of thin air. I I try not to base my decisions on numbers I'm making up, and I don't think the state should be 
doing that either. Uh, and I'm glad the state apparently did not listen to those advocacy calls because I think, frankly, we'd be having a much different discussion here tonight if they were. Uh, so, okay, so that was me being very grumpy. Having said that, there's a lot in here to not be grumpy about. Like, I'm not going to repeat all the other comments we've we've had tonight, but a lot of these programs I'm actually really, really excited to be digging into. Like, you, you staff said earlier in the presentation that that we'd be kept that they'd be kept busy and we'd be kept busy with all with all the programs. And I was looking when I was looking through the work plan at our last meeting, there were so many items that were just that were basically implementation of housing element, implementation of housing element. I'm actually really excited to be working through those. I think they will have a definite positive impact on the city. I do think in some areas I might be pushing to go a little further than than what's in the housing element, but that is a discussion for a different night. Tonight we're approving we're recommending to city council to approve the housing element. It it's it's a good document. It proposes a lot of policy changes that I think will make the city a better place. The city will be a better place with with well, the arena numbers are eleven some thousand, the site capacity is seventeen some thousand. The city will be a better place for having those new residents. I'm and the city will also be a better place for not being subjected to all of the wonderful penalties that exist for if we don't get this housing element approved by the end of the year. With that, recording officer, could we please have a roll call, call vote on the motion? Chair Pine? Yes. Commissioner Cerrone? Yes. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Commissioner Howard? Yes. Commissioner Howe? Yes. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. The motion passes with six yeses and Vice Chair Iglesias absent. Thank you. And and this goes to council uh, December 12th, I believe. That is correct. Thank you. Okay. Saying item consideration of potential study issues, that, that is information only. Non-agenda items and comments. Uh, this portion of the agenda is for oral reports and announcements by commissioners and our staff to share information. Uh, are there any commissioner comments? Reminder, my colleagues use the raise hand feature to indicate that you wish to speak. Uh, Commissioner Davis. Uh, so I've been listening to podcasts a little more than usual recently, and Freakonomics is one that I caught up on. And Sunnyvale was actually mentioned uh, directly once and um, indirectly another time uh, in this podcast, and specifically about housing. Uh, in the first, in the episode about private equity, it talked about the Carlisle Group buying Plaza del Rey, the mobile home park, and the ensuing effort to um, to to get some moderation on the rent increases there and so on. Um, they were mostly correct, I guess. <laughs> uh, but it was neat to hear about Sunnyvale. The other uh, episode was about um, apparently our construction productivity is 40% lower than it was in 1960 in the United States as a whole. And digging into this, it talked about restrictive zoning, discretionary review, uh, basically how cities all across the country have, have made it so difficult to build and so expensive to build. Uh, so just 
you know, the stuff that we're working on is of, of national import. Um, I, I think Sunnyvale is a model for the rest of the country. So let's get this, getting this housing element passed, um, passing these programs and so on. I think uh, we can be maybe a model for the country um, and not just where, uh, you know, the AI went, went rogue and, Terminator 2. <laughs> thank, thank you. I'd also note that we are where the software that almost nukes the world comes from in uh, war games. <laughs> uh, city uh, so that brings us to staff, staff items. Planning officer, do you have any non-agenda items or comments? Yeah, just a couple of reminders. Um, we have a joint study session with BPAC and sustainability. Um, that's on November 30th. And we just need to make sure that we have a quorum of each of the commissions there in order to be able to provide comments. Um, we have the Sonora Court projects going to City Council for appeal tomorrow night. What? Oh, sorry. Not on appeal. My bad. <laughs> uh, that's the Kaifa Road one. Sorry, that's uh, December fifth. Uh, and then, um, if you haven't already done so, we have a climate action playbook uh, workshop uh, Saturday, December second, or Thursday, December seventh. So just make sure you please register for that to let them know you'll be there. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and actually, just a question: Do you know how? late the november 30th meeting is supposed to be i ask because i have a late night flight it's uh, scheduled from 6 30 to 8 p.m okay i should be able to make that thank you okay that brings us to adjournment this meeting of the sunnyvale city of the Sunnyvale Planning Commission is adjourned at 8.44 p.m. And I wish to thank everyone for your participation in tonight's meeting.